And open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, be reading actually from the King James. Uh, I'll just warn you that you look at it and say it's a little bit different. Uh, but Luke 2, and this is God's Word. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This tax was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary's spouse wife, being great with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And then join me, the grass withers. The flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's, let's pray. Father, we're so glad that we have before us the living word. Father, we have your word that's spoken, that's true, that bears witness to the glory of your son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, as we uh, go to these words, Lord, as we consider uh, this last of our, uh, next last of our Christmas notes, Father, uh, humble, give us understanding, Lord, help us to apply it to the way we think, and Father, to the way we live. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today's Christmas note is humble, and uh, what better way to uh, a creature to have talk about that today than, than a donkey. Um, I know there's no donkey mentioned in the Gospel accounts, but how do you think a woman about nine months pregnant made it from Nazareth uh, all the way down to Bethlehem? You think she Ubered down there? No, she didn't. Um, she rode a donkey, and I'm J.D., Joseph's donkey. That's what it stands for. Uh, he calls me that, and you're surprised I can talk, but if you know your Bible, you know I'm not the first donkey to ever talk. Uh, that's uh, honor belongs to one of my ancestors, to uh, a donkey that belonged to uh, Balaam. So you say, how did I get involved with Joseph? Well, he'd bought me a couple of years before that from his cousin down in Bethlehem. So I helped Joseph with his various tasks around Nazareth. I carried the, the wood, I carried the stone as he worked on his building projects, as he built furniture. Um, and you got to know, he was very kind to me, very gentle, very humble man. Nothing like uh, Balaam. Uh, and so uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story. Since I'm here on Chestnut Mountain, I'll tell you, uh, I love that carol, Go Tell It on the Mountain. Um, your pastor said you cannot sing it till next week, because that's when you sing it. Uh, so, uh, but my favorite line is, uh, down in a lowly manger, the humble Christ was born. So it was, he was born in a stable with a manger, a feeding trough. That's a place I've spent a lot of time over the years. So let me back up and, and set the stage a little bit. First, donkeys in the Bible. You know, donkeys are first mentioned all the way back in Genesis, uh, and they play a prominent role there. In Abraham's life, they're used to, uh, to display that he had great wealth, um, which was a sign of blessing from God. Same thing with Job, by the way. He had a lot of donkeys. When Abraham made his long trek to Mount Moriah in order to... Uh, Intending to, to offer Isaac as a sacrifice in obedience to God, I went along. No, I didn't get to up on the mountain. I had to stay at the bottom with his servants. Um, but, but, but I had a role in, in painting a picture of a loving Heavenly Father 
who would willingly sacrifice his son, his only son, whom he loves. Later in Genesis 43, donkeys uh, help provide some comic relief in the story of, of Joseph's brothers uh, in that reunion. You remember Joseph's brothers don't recognize him, and, uh, and they think that Joseph, is the, who is arguably the second most powerful person in the world at that point in time, they've reasoned out that he wants to steal their donkeys. Um, what a bunch of country bumpkins those ten guys were. And I, I think the Egyptians had another word for them. But anyway, um, later when you meet King Saul, what's he doing? He's a donkey hunter, right? His dad sent him to hunt up the lost donkeys. Uh, you go to the book of Judges. Or, or Moses, you know, his family rode on donkeys when they went to Egypt. In Judges, you have one judge, Isbon. He had 30 sons, and they rode on what? 30 donkeys. All right, then another judge, Adon, uh, he had a combination of 70 sons and grandsons, and they rode on 70. Y'all getting on to this. Okay. When the Gibeonites deceived Israel, they put worn-out sacks on there. And then this story is painful for me to think about because it involves a dead donkey. Um, but, uh, but Samson took the jawbone of a dead donkey, and he killed a 1,000 men with it. We've got good jawbones, folks. So, uh, but more importantly, donkeys are remarkably tied into predictions about Messiah. The first time is Genesis 49. Jacob's on his deathbed, back to those same ten country bumpkins, and he's, he's given the future of them and, and their, their descendants. And he says this about jo, jo, Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from beneath between his feet, until Shiloh comes... And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He's washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. Now there's a whole lot there, but I hope you got that there's a donkey involved with a, with a scepter, with a king. A king will be a ruler of all the nations, a descendant of Judah. And you need to know this as well. Uh, it, in times of war, a king would ride a horse. In those days, in times of peace, a king would ride a donkey. Or sometimes uh, one of our half-brothers, the, the, the mule. You know, that's what Solomon did when they wanted to make him king. Uh, they had him ride on David's mule into town to give him the authority that he came in peace. Solomon means peace. And he came to reign over the people. It was a message. So you might think of donkeys as just, oh, stubborn country creatures. But donkeys sometimes get to carry a king. In fact, that becomes the great prediction for Messiah in Zechariah 9. Uh, for God's people anticipate a day to come when a king would come, and yes, what? He'll ride on a donkey. Listen to what he says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous name of salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. I'll cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So notice that coming king is called humble and he rides a donkey. Now, of course, the story of Balaam's donkey is, is our high point uh, because his donkey talks 
to Balaam. But here's the thing. It's not what the donkey said. It's what the donkey heard. And what the donkey saw that's important. So what did he see? I'm going to read it to you. This is Numbers 22. Remember, Balaam has been hired by Balak to curse Israel. And he's traveling to do it, and God's grudgingly giving him permission to do it. We'll see what God thinks about that. But God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now, he was riding on the donkey, and his two servants were with him, that he is Balaam. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing on the road with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field, and Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. The angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood at a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. Balaam's anger was kindled and he struck the donkey with a staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you've struck me these three times? Balaam said to the donkey, imagine talking back to a donkey, but anyway. Um, because you've made a fool of me, I wish I had a sword, a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey in which you've ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down and fell on his face. Well, very simply, putting all the animal abuse uh, issues there aside, uh, the donkey saw the angel of the Lord. In the Old Testament, that when it says the angel of the Lord, that's Jesus before the incarnation, before Bethlehem. So before Balaam saw Jesus, his donkey saw him. I want you to think about that. Jesus, God himself, revealed himself to a donkey. How humble, how humbling for the, the pre-incarnate Jesus. How humbling for the donkey to get to see the glory of Jesus, the creator king that day. And then the donkey got to hear about Messiah's coming. As Balaam made those predictions and promises, the donkey got to hear some of the greatest promises ever given that assure God's people of God's love for them. He also heard Balaam say this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And that's one of the great prophecies about Messiah. A star, a scepter, a ruler. It kept Israel watching and waiting for a kingly Messiah when the donkey got to hear that. So that's a little Old Testament background about donkeys and the hope of Messiah. The hope of the coming king of the Jews, the son of David. The hope the people still had uh, when I became Joseph's donkey. The hope every donkey had to carry a king. So i got to tell you, I love my job. All right? Spend almost all my time with Joseph. But then it happened. All right? Uh, 
I'd noticed that Joseph was beginning to take particular attention uh, and interest in a young woman there in town. Her name was Mary. And whenever he saw Mary around while he stood a little taller, walked a little brisker, picked up the stones a little faster. Uh, and then I picked up on the fact that, well, she noticed him too. And uh, she seemed to go out of her way to pass by wherever we were working. She'd pause and ask questions. And he'd smile and she'd smile. And well, pretty soon they're hanging around all the time, every day. And it was with Mary. Well, J.D. was left out, left home, all alone. So I confess, I felt a little neglected. Uh, but such is human love, I'd seen it before. Well, the next thing you know, they announced they're, they're going to get married. They're, they're betrothed, sort of, a, sort of an engagement, but a more serious commitment. It was a binding legal agreement, and you're going to get out of that if, if you're going to divorce them. But, you know, watching those two lovebirds, there's no way that was going to happen. And then came the, the day that afternoon that Mary came over, and I hate to eavesdrop. Well, not really. Um, uh, you know, after all, these ears that God gave me, that's what they're for. Uh, and, uh, and I heard Mary tell Joseph she was going to go visit her cousin Elizabeth, uh, and, uh, who was an older woman and was going to have a baby. So off Mary went for three months. You know, it's like old times again, just me and Joseph um, uh, about town everywhere. And then Mary, she came back to town. Uh, and, uh, and she came straight over to see Joseph. And it was easy to tell. She, she was pregnant. And Joseph looked like, well, he looked like a broken man. And she was talking about her trip. And obviously, as we animals say, there was an elephant in the room. You know, um, um, but before Joseph could ask her about it, she said she was tired, she needed to rest, and she said she knew they had to talk, but it would have to wait till tomorrow. Uh, I mean, what could my friend say? After all, it was a shock. I, I don't think he knew what to say, knew what to think. Uh, and so she came out of the house, and, and she, she just walked straight by me and, and went home. Poor, heartbroken Joseph. So that night I kept my ear near the window and I heard him pray. I heard him pray, God, she's, she's special. Why did you let this happen? I mean, what am I going to do? I, I know how people are. That I, I can hear the whispering already. Oh, so that's why she went away. Why didn't she stay away? Why don't they just get married? I mean, what to do? My, my, God, my family's honors at stake. Mine is. I mean, should I just... Remove any stigma and make a spectacle out of it? Because you know, they don't stone people for adultery anymore. No, not that. Uh, or I, I could do nothing. I could marry her. Just embarrass the family. People think we'd just been indiscreet. But if she's been unfaithful already, what about the future? Now, how could she love me and do this? Lord, i got a third option. Just quietly get two witnesses and hand her a piece of paper divorcing her. Divorcing her. You know, maybe that'll do it. Maybe that'll do it. And then I heard Joseph tossing and turning on the bed, and finally heard nothing. He'd fallen asleep. Well, then suddenly, just about daybreak, I heard him stirring. And he, he jumped out of bed, and he muttered something about, what a dream. And, uh, and he went right out of the house. He's running down the street without me. And, and I looked up, and... And here came Mary. She's walking slowly. And I, I couldn't hear their conversation. 
but I could see the embrace that followed. Like one of those Hallmark movies you guys watch at the end, you know, right, right at the very end. Uh, and uh, uh, they came back to the house, and, and I heard Mary say, tell me again about the dream last night. Exactly what did the angel say to you? He said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son who give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. I was, I was dumbfounded. Mary is expecting the Messiah. Her child's the descendant of Judah, the star of Jacob, the king who will ride on the donkey that Zechariah describes. And now Joseph seemed normal again, but only better. He married, got married. I thought that would make things all right, and it did for a while. But you know, Joseph sadly was right. The townspeople, they were always whispering, always saying things and smirking when they saw Joseph and Mary. Then I began to hear there was a, the, the Romans had in, in, uh, given a census tax decree. Everybody's going to have to go back to their own ancestral homes to pay the tax. Because that includes Joseph, even if his wife's pregnant. But I heard Joseph say, maybe it was for the best. It would, it would get him out of Nazareth. But you know what I thought when I had to go to Bethlehem? Home. I was going to go home. I was going to see my relatives. Some of my siblings and my friends where I grew up. Uh, and it was quite a trip. And I carried Mary, of course. And I was glad to see Bethlehem in the distance after we reached the top of that last hill. Because Mary, well, she, she was exhausted. But the town was, it was overrun with taxpayers. And Joseph went to some of his relatives' houses, and they all said, no, we don't have any room. And then he, he went to the inn, and there was no room. But then I saw him. It was my cousin, I.D., innkeeper's donkey, all right? <laughs> and, and he began to hee-haw because the, the innkeeper said he didn't have any room either. And, um, and so my, my I.D. was trying to get him to look back at the stable. And so as it made noise, finally the, the innkeeper turned around and saw the stable and how that did offer it to Joseph. So I don't know if you're ready for this, but ID had what? A good idea. All right? So, so we settled in. So it was a stable. I got to come inside. And Joseph stacked up some bales of hay to stop the chill of the night air that was blowing on Mary. Remember our carol. Down in the lowly manger, the humble Christ was born, and God brought us salvation that blessed Christmas morn. Jesus' birth in a stable, the humble Messiah, is on full display for all the world to see. The creator of the universe becomes the created. The infinite becomes the finite. Spirit becomes flesh. The immortal takes on mortality. And the light of the world softly glows from a manger, a feeding trough. Joseph helped Mary get settled. She said it was time, and Joseph helped as she gave birth. And I heard him call him Jesus, the name given by the angel, to, because he was going to save his people from their sins. And it was so amazing. I'd witnessed the birth of sheep and cattle and dogs, and, but never a human being, and certainly not Messiah. Mary swaddled her newborn son uh, all so tightly, with no crib for a bed, she placed him in a manger, a feeding trough. But a humble throne for the king of all the world. At that point, I figured, 
out that, uh, well, I was done for the night. So I'd get a little shut eye, and just then I heard them. Shepherds running towards the stable. Now, don't get me wrong, I like shepherds, but they're really not a bunch of people. Uh, and uh, and they, what an odd time of night to come. And, and uh, I mean, who's watching their sheep? Who's watching the lambs? And who disturbs a woman who's just had a baby in the middle of the night? All right? Well, these guys are chattering. I hear them, I hear them say that an angel had appeared to them. And I thought, like Joseph, like, like Mary. And so they came on, and needless to say, they did startle poor Joseph and Mary. They began to tell the most incredible tale. They said, they said you know, we're shepherds, and we were abiding in the field and just keeping watch over flocks by night. And, and, and suddenly the angel of the Lord came upon us, and his glory shone all around us, and we were, we were sore afraid. The angel told us, fear not. I bring you good times of great joy before all the people. For when he was born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And then suddenly there, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. They were praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And so afterwards, when they went back into heaven, we said one to each other, Let's go now. Even unto Bethlehem, let's see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord's made known to us. And, and so we came with haste, and, and we found you. We found Mary, and we found Joseph, and we found the baby lying in the manger. And there was silence. And Joseph and Mary looked at each other, startled, and then smiles on their faces in the soft light of the small fire. Then Joseph spoke up and told them their story. This is from the angel to Mary and to him. I mean, how humbling for the king to have as his first visitors, not other kings, not their ambassadors, but shepherds. The Messiah, the Savior of the world, swaddled tightly and securely in a blanket by the hands of a teenage mother who lays him on straw in a manger, surrounded by shepherds. I mean, how could Jesus be so humble? Well, years later, the Apostle Paul wrote how that could happen. He said, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the very form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself, become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So it's the mindset of Christ. He was obedient to the Father. There's no greater description of humility of being humble anywhere. And do you mind a little humble theology from a donkey? When Jesus emptied himself, he didn't do it by subtraction. He did it by addition. He did not become less. He became more. Fully God and fully human. So that he could humbly die for his people. So as Jesus lay in the manger as a, a tiny baby, he somehow simultaneously upheld the universe with the word of his power. Jesus' humanity does not limit or, or shrink the divine nature of the Son. Jesus was far bigger than that tiny body might seem to give him credit for. And that's why one should worship the humble Christ. And that's why the shepherds came and they did worship the one who was to be the Lamb of God to take away 
the sin of the world. And so what about you? You say, why would your pastor let a donkey tell the story? We need to know that the most humbling task for a pastor is to be privileged to be used by God to tell his story. And God humbles himself by allowing humans to tell his story. And on some occasions, he humbles pastors by letting donkeys tell the story. And the more we focus on the glory of God, the greater we see him. And the more humble we should perceive ourselves to be. And the corollary would be that the humility showed by Jesus challenges us to be humble. Something the world today certainly needs to see a lot more of. And so it was for me. The greatest hope of any donkey ever was going to be to be the donkey that Jacob and Balaam and Zechariah described. The donkey who would carry the triumphant king. And I knew that would not be me. But I'm not disappointed. Because I'm humbled because I realize I had the privilege to be the first donkey to carry the king on his first journey to his first earthly throne. See, when I carried Mary to Bethlehem, she was carrying the king. His throne was the manger. So today, don't remember a talking donkey. Please don't do that. Uh, But remember what happened. That the humility of God was fully on display. The glory of God was fully on display. And it was for our salvation that he was on display. So there within a stable, the baby drew a breath. There began a life that put an end to death. And all the frozen stillness, mighty voices heard, God is here among you. Human is the word. Indeed, humble is also the word. May we marvel at what God has done for us. Thanks be to God for his indescribable and humble gift. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to you for your son, Jesus Christ. We're grateful, Father, for the manger, that he came and became one of us. Father, fully God, yet fully human. Lord, he did it to die for us, to be obedient even to death on the cross. And Father, that's the greatest gift of all, the gift of your Son. If there's anybody here today that's not received that gift, Lord, show them your Son. Show them the depth of your love. Father, draw them to the one who will give them forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life, we would pray. Lord, as your people, may we indeed be humble, Father, uh, because you are so great and you've shown us how. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.